welcome to Grow Conversations, your window into the world of medical cannabis here in the United Kingdom. My name's Alex Fraser, and uh, before we get stuck and cracking into our first guest um, of 2024, I just want to say a really quick thank you to everyone who's been following us so far. Grow Conversations have been a bit of a labor of love, started during COVID lockdowns. We did a few episodes face-to-face last year. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more content for you this year. Very excited about all the guests that we've got lined up particularly excited about our first guest, which is the wonderful James Watson, nurse at Integro Clinics. Welcome, James. Thanks for joining the show. Hey, thank you very much. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Well, it's, uh, it's, I've been dying to get you on. I was going <laughs> to say, out of all the people in this industry, all the healthcare professionals, your name comes up again and again when I'm speaking to patients, when I'm speaking to doctors, when I'm speaking to other professionals in this industry. So I'm, I'm, I'm super happy to have you here. And thanks for making the time because I know that you're so busy day in, day out with you know, the patients that you're managing and, and the work that you do. So really appreciate you giving us this time today. No worries. So I think the first thing to start off with, what we'll do is um, what I like to call BC, which is uh, we'll do a bit of a timeline. We'll go BC, we'll go before cannabis. So what yeah. were you, <laughs> it's a bit cheesy. We're, 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 we're trying this for this. I mean, if mm-hmm. it doesn't come up in the next episode, you'll know that this, this didn't land. Um, but um, it'd be fascinating to hear about your career path Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what were you doing before you got involved in, in cannabis in any way? So I've I've had a really interesting career and I've been really, really lucky with some of the exposure that I've had. Um just been in the right place at the right time, getting a good job role. But I've I've um I qualified in two thousand and nine. Um and I'd wanted to be a nurse for a very, very long time since I was a very small child actually. Um uh, so it's always been something I wanted to do. And interestingly, my family were all like, no, no, James, you want to be a doctor. But I was very sure about what I wanted to do. But um, yeah, so I qualified in 2009. Um, and I actually ended up in Northern Ireland for the first year of my career, year and a half. Um, uh, worked in Enniskillen and then Belfast um, and had a great time there. Really kind of, you know, that first year of nursing. Um sort of had a really interesting kind of like working up. I was a charge nurse for a bit um, and then eventually um, got involved in change management and um, particularly change management within um, community care and uh, nursing care homes. Um, And that's kind of how I've sort of began to get into this sort of change management roles um, and eventually got a job as an area manager for a large private nursing company and it was um sort of advanced nursing care at home um it was a failing service and uh i went into kind of be, be the kind of the manager of change lead change um and um really within 18, 18 months we t- changed that service around um and it being multifactorial, it was the whole of the north of Scotland, lots of teams and members. So it had lots of moving parts. And for me, that's what I just absolutely loved. Um, uh, with that came, um, just off the back of that success, came an offer from NHS Scotland to come manage some of their hospitals and lead some of the change that was happening within the changing priorities of the Scottish government and that is there's a more of a community focused Mm -hmm. priority for resources right so moving away from that traditional uh, community hospital 
into the community and, and redistribution of resources. Um, That's their, one of their big five-year plans, isn't it? One of those yeah. big NHS five-year plans for, I know NHS Scotland had that particular focus on communities, didn't they? Yeah. Yeah, and it, yeah. they've been doing it for quite a while now as well. And they're really, it's starting to bite in now. So they built, we were part of building a new hospital within that area and closing those facilities down. It was really interesting. I, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, I had, interestingly, though, huge amounts of stress um, and exposed to quite, you know, interesting stuff. Um uh, so yeah, I, I've had a really interesting. I've been very lucky, but again, my my uh, obsession has been nursing, has been healthcare, leading change in failing healthcare services. That was that was kind of the real kind of thing that got me up out of my bed in the morning. Um, from a young uh, age. Yeah, from very yeah, from very from about seven years old, I think. I well, why do you think that is? Why I mean, I guess not just why nursing, but why do you think that you wanted to be in something that. Uh, where you're caring for other people and looking for them. What, what about you that uh, led into that I sort of mindset, do you think? I don't know. It was instinctive. Just came you know, to you naturally? Right. Nothing in inst- the family, no medicine, no parents in medicine? No, none of that. They were all business That's owners. Probably, they were all right. business. But completely yeah, bucked the trend then. <laughs> oh, completely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but my interest in my Nana's neighbour was a mm-hmm. nurse. And, oh, okay. Uh, right? And she was amazing. And she she, she, uh, she was just an incredible lady. She'd talk about her job and she just was incredible. Um, mm. Interestingly, years later, when I was when I was a, a second year nursing student and I was placed to medical receiving, uh, she was my mentor. No way. Right? What's the chances so, of that happening? There's thousands of nurses the doing that stuff. Quite, actually, okay, I, all right. Maybe it's not quite. <laughs> <laughs> but actually, it was just really, it, no, I mean, this, the system's huge. So it was quite amazing. Still. It was like, great, yeah. Um, so I got hmm. to see her um, other side. And actually, that, that kind of, that caring side that was always part of who hmm. she was. But she also had this black humor side. And hmm. that is key to being a good clinician in some ways, a good nurse, especially, I think, is that you have a really black black humour. Yeah, Yeah, I hear that. I hear that from a lot of clinicians. I think you, because you deal with so much serious subject matter as every single day, minute by minute, right? That's, that's your bread and butter. It's you, I think it's a survival technique, isn't it? For healthcare professionals that you sort of, you have to laugh or you cry. Is that the... Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, it's you forget your place though sometimes, and it, you know you maybe at Christmas dinner or whatever you you drop a clangor. <laughs> you start talking about some something terribly traumatic in a very light-hearted way. Is that <laughs> absolutely? Yeah, absolutely. Or asking really like nosy questions. You know, start doing diagnostics at the while right, you're in the yeah, diagnosing, yeah. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. So, um, but uh, yeah, that's. But your family have always been supportive of of you doing this work and and getting in nursing. Yes, and, yeah, absolutely fantastic. have. Yeah, has, has that have. changed at all? Then it's sort of transitioned into cannabis. I'm skipping parts of the conversation here, but I, we'll get back to how you got into Ooh. cannabis and all that stuff. But did did they have any problem with that? Mm, no, it it was a change because mm. I had quite a significant career that I gave up. Right. Mm. So how did um, that happen? Go on, go on, talk us through it, if you would. I, I'd have, so I'd always had PD, PTSD and always lived with it, which is quite common. So you, you have this kind of first traumatic event, just to give you a bit of background, by the way. Sure, um, sure. um, and, um, then you have a second traumatic event. And for me, that was while I was working at NHS Scotland, um, and through me, you know, um, and I'm really open about it because that there was a period of my life 
that was really, really difficult and that I never thought that I would be in that situation, right? And so, you know, I, the cannabis has always recreationally been in my life as in friends. You see it, it's yeah. everywhere, right? Um, um, but at the time I was, to be honest, I was predominantly drinking wine. I was, you know, I was having a half bottle of wine or a glass of wine. Oh, and you, can, you can go into work the next day and say, yeah, I had a couple of glasses of wine last night, mm. really to try and help me sleep, to try and knock me out. And, you know, it just, mm -hmm, it's not good. And, um, but again, it's more socially acceptable and maybe the culture that I am in as well in the Highlands of Scotland, it's a wee bit more kind of acceptable. Um, but I just wasn't sleeping, Alex, and I was getting more and more unwell. And I wasn't really fully aware. I knew, you know, that I wasn't operating 100%. Uh, you know, really, it was the sleep, the lack of sleep. And uh, my partner um, had always tried to encourage me to like have a smoke before bed to get some sleep. Right? Um, um, but yeah, so there was one day I came home very upset, very emotional. And um, yeah, I kind of had a couple of puffs to help me yeah. sleep and I slept very well that night. Mm. I do not recommend it. It was illegal and I don't, you know, don't condone <laughs> sure. that in any shape or form. But at that point for me, I was in crisis. Um, um, so I had a really good sleep that night. I laughed in the right way. I, you know, I had a bit of a cry in the right way. Mm. I ate dinner that night. Um, for the first time in a bit, and really, you know, I had a good sleep. I was still as as I was still pretty stressed and um, unwell, but mm. I was able to face it and really just make a. Few, there was a bit of a period where I kind of had to go. Do you know what? Actually, this has allowed me some reflection. This cannabis mm. has allowed me some reflection. I this isn't working for me. This career ain't working for me anymore, and I'm not getting that same buzz that I used to get from it. Um, and I took a year out pretty much. Mm. And um, with that year, I kind of just did a lot of soul searching and reflection and what I wanted to do. And, um, you know, I tried to go back to the NHS um, and my colleagues were so supportive. Um, it just, you know, I knew, I knew at that point that I just didn't want to go back. And I remember going, going to the hospital that I was, I was one of the hospitals sites I was managing and um, just knowing I desperately did not want to be there. And mm. um, I know it's so, so difficult, so difficult for, for anyone to make that break with the NHS because the institution is so beloved and for people in your position, it's, you know, been part of your training. It's the, it's there as sort of the background to your career, isn't it? So it's, every, it's so difficult to leave behind, isn't yeah. it? It's everything. It's like DNA. You know, you're very, you're very makeup. And I think what happens is you work so many hours all the time. Actually, your family become those teams, mm. and you're not, you don't have hobbies at home. There's not much going on at home other than maybe, you know. So you can become quite fully in depth into it. So when you leave it, it's a big decision because there's a, a loss of identity. Because mm. well, that's James, he, he's the senior charge nurse for Badenoch and Strathspey, you know. Da, 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 da. So the, it's really difficult. There's a there's a kind of a. I knew, I I absolutely knew that I just wasn't going to be able to do the job effectively mm. ever again. And um, just yeah, a lot of research. And actually, funnily enough, it was a cat. You know, being a constant academic, it was a cannabis thing, and I googled it. And I'm like, hold on a minute, it's it's legal. <laughs> what? And when, then, when was that? When was that that you did that? Because just year wise, because 
it's fascinating to me You're how talking... the time between it legalized and people realizing sorry 2021 yeah okay, June... so a couple of years two or three years two yeah. and a half maybe okay. yeah and didn't have a clue and i was you know yeah never had seen it in healthcare um never had to come across a patient mm-hmm. That's not unique to you. I don't think that's your lack of knowledge or awareness. I would, you know, for those who are watching, I don't. I think that's uniform throughout healthcare, yeah. throughout the general public. Many people still don't know, and we're five years down the line. So, no, we've good got for you a lot for of niche work, don't we? We've got a lot oh, of, yeah. Um, yeah, definitely. I, but just, yeah, just, just, yeah, just seen that jobs had come up as well. So I was just like, oh well, great. <laughs> I'm going to apply for this. Um, I'm going to apply for the medical cannabis because it's going to make me feel better about having it in the house yeah. and uh, as a patient. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, as a patient and uh, be treated properly. Or yeah, I mean it's it's such a common narrative that I hear as well. When it's what you describe of oh here, just try a little bit of this, and it's it's always the illegal stuff because very few people are sharing their prescription medicine. Whereas someone who's using it illegally will be will probably be more generous. Um, uh, and and that because I my story is very very similar. I know lots of other healthcare professionals who are in this now who have similar stories and they combine that personal experience with their, their professional life. Do you find that is ever a difficulty for you? Do you find that your own personal experience is ever a hindrance or do you think it's always, um, obviously it's a benefit, I think, obviously. Yeah, I think it's a benefit, but I think that's a really pertinent question because it's, it we can be technocrats as well, right? Mm-hmm. So we can do a bit dead end thinking, right? Mm-hmm. So maybe we can apply the medical model to uh, cannabis where it just that doesn't work. Mm-hmm. It just you know you can't apply that medical model to medical cannabis. Um, but yeah, that's that's really that's actually quite interesting because I think you're you're onto something there. Yeah, something we'd potentially have to have a wider a wider conversation with more people to get a proper idea. I, I just my my thought process is if you are using it day to day one of the problems i have i have to distance myself from my own experience i spend so much time talking to patients um about the medicines they have and the effects they have on them yeah. they'll tell me medicine x has this effect and i'll be like i can't even imagine it having that effect on someone having taken that medicine myself it's mm-hmm. it's hard to believe and you sort of have to distance yourself from your own experience to just take on face value what the patient is saying and that's i don't know if that personal experience gets in the way at all but but perhaps that's a wider conversation we need to have. Maybe we need to do a study or something <laughs> more thorough down the line. That's yeah. the problem with these in-depth conversations with with uh, with you guys is we always end up with ideas of wouldn't it be fascinating if we could find that out on a large scale and really dig into that more. Um, but I'd but love no, to hear big, more about. Sorry, go ahead. Holes, sorry, Daleks. Um, yeah. I, the experience on the whole has been really positive. The experience has uh, the application has been quite a positive thing because I I think what I've struggled with within this space is sort of you know potentially sort of operational leads with no healthcare experience um mm-hmm. dealing with quite complex healthcare mm-hmm. systems that you know um take years of training and experience to, to to deal with actually and even the ones that have got that experience and training still struggle with it so mm-hmm. I, I think there's there's a wider conversation about how we bring in what is standard practice within healthcare, making sure that it's applicable to medical cannabis mm. and that we're following the principles that we know work and are laid down are going to keep people people safe. But ultimately as well, um, yeah, keep the patient safe and, and the industry um, 
safe as well because i think you know we want, want to ensure that all systems are you know the systems that we've got in place are robust safe that we're monitoring and um, patient responses to medications um uh, and, and ultimately because we're, we're still a very early um industry as well and i think there is an element of we kind of have to prove ourselves a little bit you know as the the sort of the evidence comes in and the, the personal experiences of the, the patients um yeah. I suppose that's an interesting point. So, you, I mean, twenty twenty one, you applied for the job. I presume you you got the job mm-hmm. quite quickly. I mean, I'm sure you had no problem with that. Um, but I suppose what's changed from when you started working in the clinics to to now? What's what's developed? What learnings have been put into place? And what do we do now? Or what do you do now in practice? That um, you know, not not because it was oversight, but because it just generally wasn't done before. What is what is important now that you weren't doing originally, or that you uh, or that was seen, I suppose, by you and the team and, and, and rectified. Yeah, I think the big thing is definitely the the supply issues that we mm. had right at the beginning. Mm. And again, that, that kind of embryotic stage of the, the industry. And actually, I think we've really, we've maybe 2023 maybe would be a year by which we could watermark it, that the industry matured a little bit and, and prices came down and we saw more products uh, more medicines available and um um but i think yeah the supply of medicines i think that's been the big thing and when you start a patient on a specific medication and that runs out so i think we've become much cleverer much better at bringing online produce you know bringing producers online into the the space um especially from outside because we're still not quite here yet in the uk we're getting yeah. there though you know beginning oh, yeah. of I think it'll be a big year for UK cultivators. That's a whole other, and we'll we'll hope you know the teaser for later episodes. We'll have a few of them on grow conversations to have a chat. Right. What it's like to grow large amounts of cannabis in the UK completely legally. So that'd be fun. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's that's really interesting. I mean, the supply issues has been a, a and for the early stages was a real problem, and I think that it highlights the early how how early this is and still is i I keep saying five years down the line this is still the very very beginnings of this there are still very few healthcare professionals engaged at all so Hmm. you know one of the other other interesting things actually and i think this is really good is Hmm. well there's a couple of things but we were really kind of basic in that sativa morning into night, and Hmm. that's how we communicated that to patients as well Hmm. and only offering very slim choice of products whereas what we do know is each strain can have um a sort of a unique effect on mm-hmm. patient symptoms and they're throughout the day as well um uh, depending on what's going on so i think there's a bit of an art going on there mm-hmm. we we've kind of really kind of sharpened our um our knowledge and and the anecdote total stuff as well so again having that kind of build up of knowledge and experience um has been really important and i think we're getting we're getting better at managing patient expectations um around medical cannabis as well i think um education has been um a big thing and how we communicate with patients um uh, so yeah, I, 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 you know, I think, um, I think twenty twenty four is going to be a really interesting year for cannabis. I, I am so excited um, for it. <laughs> I really am. Um, just yeah, I think we're getting to a critical point now in terms of size. And... I think so. In terms of general awareness, um, mm-hmm. I think we're seeing, and it's interesting. I'll, I'll, I'll 
it brings me to a point I was going to bring up way, way, way later down in the conversation. But institutions across the UK, not just healthcare, but policing institutions, uh, patients, uh, employers, these confrontations that, that are happening with patients across the UK, where essentially someone with a prescription comes across an authority in their lives who is not aware that it's legal. And yeah. there's an education. Uh, how much of a role do you play in those sort of confrontations? Are you brought in? Do you hear about these things? Is that yeah, something that you talk to your patients about? Definitely. Um, it, the police thing's the big thing. So I've, I, quite often I, um, I've speak to various police officers um, across the country. And um, it's really dependent. I mean, I, again, you know, I, I'd one um, drug cop who specialists in, in, in um, drug and alcohol. And um, he was adamant it wasn't legal until I sent him the white paper and was really rude about it and then phoned mm. back a couple of hours later and was really apologetic. So I think I think the engagement, I think the interaction with patients and the police is maybe getting a little bit better in that just that the police are becoming more aware of it. Um, um, stigmas like comes across the whole um, sort of spectrum of someone's life. Um, and in particular, actually, more so if you're from a lower socioeconomic background, because uh, quite often you're in, you know, social housing. Um, and again, we've seen instances of patients being evicted from their houses because of medical cannabis use, which is some of the worst stigma I've seen, quite frankly. Appalling, isn't it? Um, yeah. The the other the other big thing, Alex, I see all the time is it might be a single parent and they fall out with a neighbour, mm. and the neighbour will report that 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 um, person to the social work department, and then you're kind of in a sticky wicket with it. You know, you're having to explain support the patient to explain to the social work the the you know the the processes that we go through, what we're treating them for, and um, what our expectation is in terms of vaporization and not doing it in the house. So, yeah. you know, it's re it can be really difficult conversations. Um, I think there's some um, like bias as well in that people just don't hear you, right? Mm. People, you can you can say it, <laughs> they don't hear it, and yeah. um, things I've heard things of like uh, it's of this department's um, view that it's not legal. Right. So, and then you go, oh God, it, well, it doesn't matter what your view is. <laughs> it's yeah, the law. It doesn't matter what department, where you're coming from. Uh, the is, yeah. Yeah. Doesn't matter. Do, do you get frustrated with that, those attitudes? Because I guess you're coming up with this again and again, these sort of very close minded, oh, I, I, I'm not aware it's illegal. It's, uh, sorry, I'm not aware it's legally available. Therefore, it must be illegal. Yeah. Is that, I, does it great? Does it get to, does it get to a you? little bit? If it's get a rise out of you, James, here a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> if it's at home, I mean, I do get a bit annoyed when it's at home, right? So at Christmas, yeah. I had a relative, and I, I'm okay to share this, but I had a relative um, uh, say to me, um, and does, does stigma and cannabis annoy you? In, in that, like, gobsmacked, I'd be annoyed that some mm. patient stigmatized well obviously cannabis is really bad why would you be so there's a bit of that that's that's intellectual laziness quite frankly um you know so that's kind of yeah um but that's then my opportunity to upskill and educate alex <laughs> and i do I, I i do it with great glee as well <laughs> even around the christmas table even around the christmas if they bring it up even around the christmas table yeah um so hopefully yeah. won't get you in trouble for that one. There won't be one less Christmas card for this anecdote next no, year. No, <laughs> not at all. Not at all. It's good. No, I, I think um I think with just reducing stigma, Alex. I think that's like I definitely think just being like you know, whether 
yeah, I'm sure it'll be okay. But I think, yeah, I think it's important for patients. I think you know. Um, I think so. I think that's that's the next phase of things. We're going. We'll we'll, we'll carry on from here. Um, we're, where we've you know we, I obviously advocated for this law change to happen for four and a half years, and then we got there, and then it was like, well, okay, job done, and that felt feels now in retrospect so naive to think that that was going to be the end of the conversation that um you know a law changed something signed by government and then that's all that we'll ever need to do i think we even thought when we were campaigning that it would be oh your law change and then it'll be nhs and it'll be fine um which is again knowing what i know now incredibly naive and i i I wish we'd been smarter about how we were campaigning so that we could have maybe tied a few of these things up when the legislation happened. But, um, you know, the it, things around landlords and stuff like that. It was such a significant thing to happen. Anyway, mm. real success was was exactly just that legislation. It was, you know, and, and the work that we've been able to do off the back of that as well. The lives that have been saved off the back of that, you know, I, so. It's incredible to I think hear that. what you're saying, yeah. yeah. Building, which I suppose, I mean, it's, it's again, it's naive to say it and, and think that it's surprising. But yeah, building an industry takes longer than changing a law. And yeah. changing minds also happens a lot, a lot longer uh, time frame. So yeah. um, there's a lot of minds that we need to change. Do you have much pushback from colleagues uh, in healthcare? Obviously outside of, and presumably your colleagues in cannabis clinics are quite supportive. But outside of that, do yeah, you find it's... doctors, nurses in, in other areas treat you differently I... because of what you do? Hey. Yeah, kind of, kind of. I do you know? I always get it's either one of kind of one or two reactions, uh, or three. And actually, the third one is just no reaction whatsoever. <laughs> like literally, they won't say anything. <laughs> They'll just like look at me. Um, but um, there's yes, there's a couple of reactions. Generally, people are in inquisitive. Um, mm. want to know more. Um, my friends that are doctors, uh, absolutely. Um, thought I was crazy. They thought I was nuts. Um, yeah. Do doing right and what, but that was, for what reason just in that it was um a big deal to leave the nhs and go into something that was potentially quite risky um and was at the beginning you know right at the beginning and again just in terms of their view on on cannabis right um it, yeah so i think that's it, it, but generally you know i think you know most clinicians are really open to generally the open if they're good clinicians are open to new ideas mm. and will won't reaffirm any confirmation bias to themselves which can happen a lot and yeah. um you know um so quite often what's really interesting i think we're seeing in patches of it in the country so in northern ireland for example the hospitals there are absolutely okay with it no problem really? at all generally, you know no idea yeah uh, Scotland not had any problems. Had some, one or two issues in England, but it's a bigger, you know, much bigger country, so mm. much bigger population group. Mm. Um, but again, generally okay with it. And once they've had the phone call from me, the ward or wherever the patient's going, generally it's fine. Okay, no problem. You know, we understand what it is, and and um, so it's a bit of upskill, bit of education. Mm. Um, again, it, it, you know, most pain departments. Um, that I hear feedback from patients who advise their their teams that they're on cannabis are really positive about it. Just in that they know they're getting really good pain cover, you know, they're getting a good night's sleep, they're presenting at clinic um, very well, and they're quite often either 
have significantly reduced their regular medications or completely stopped their medications. So once you start having those conversations, once the clinician starts seeing the benefits yeah. to patients, um, you know, the clinician's DNA is all about um, protecting the patient. And um, um, unfortunately, the default position for us at the moment is that actually the clinician information is out of date. It's it's based on studies that were done on illicit market cannabis, like really high, huge amounts of THC, nothing else. Um, and uh, yeah, so we know, you know, they're really, it's, it's based on faulty information. Um, mm. Again, it's just working with people and providing evidence and, and uh, case studies, you know, is, is always really helpful. Um, I think from the police perspective, I think they're just pleased that they don't have to deal with it. And, uh, mm. you know, um, but again, we, we need to have a wider conversation in this country around about what um, what the drugs laws are and what does that mean? Mm. You know, so, you know, it, it, it can't be that it's just a purely criminal issue. It's got to be a health and social issue. We can't, you know, we have to accept the fact that we're human beings first and as a part of that there is an element of um um oh yeah there's an element of drug use i've got to be careful what i say here i've been <laughs> thinking that one over is it um, what is it is it that there's a sort of natural propensity to want to alter your state of consciousness to an extent i think that's yes, true in in, na in in broader than even human yeah. beings but in nature i think that's true as, as other animals and if we can educate and upskill mm. while they're at festivals maybe it's mm. it's you know it's it's kind of harm reduction is my main thing you know yeah. um how do we prevent people dying from doing what they're going to do anyway well yeah can we can we you know if we can't curb usage and i think if the war on drugs since the 60s has taught us anything it's that that you can militarize a country's police force and yeah. still not curb drug consumption there has to be a way of making this safer actually for see increases <laughs> yeah across the yeah. board that's mm -hmm. universally in almost every country it's 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 unequivocally not not the the, the route is it and we're we're a little off piss but i actually think it's really interesting because it's i was having a discussion today with a group of patients on a call where um we were talking about the concept of sort of laziness or shiftlessness i suppose for want of a better word um and it's exactly that uh, you know, and forgive me, the uh, viewers, for, for putting such a fine point on it, but it's the people on the dole, people on benefits, using cannabis, sitting on the sofa, uh, you know, with a 50-inch TV, not trying to get a job, blah, 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 blah. This whole, you know, that stereotype, and I'm not trying to proliferate that or suggesting that's a real thing at all. And actually, the the outcome of the conversation was this is all stigmatic in a very similar way to cannabis. And cannabis is just lumped into this wider stigma around productivity, where yeah those who feel they need to be very productive or very active and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that but i think there's a subset who look at the rest of the world who are maybe not so productive or proactive for whatever reason and judge them for it and mm -hmm. uh, what they're actually doing here is looking at a very surface level and not really looking. there's almost certainly a reason beneath the surface that yeah. that person is the way they are it's really like the idea it's a moral fault is absurd to me and i think that, yeah. that understanding that this probably you know the the um there's almost certainly a psychiatric reason why if someone's not got a physical reason for not being active there'll be a reason why that i think humans are, in, are naturally uh, we want to do things create build things have fun go out meet people do stuff if we don't want to do that if there's not a desire there's a deep there's a deeper issue that's not the fault mm -hmm. of people. it's not like a moral decision they make i think yeah. that's 
cannabis gets lumped yeah, into it's that. It's very dangerous as well mm. because you know people with that stigma and you people are boxed in, they're stereotyped, poorer health outcomes, you know, increased psychiatric issues because of the way they've been treated. I, it's yep. really difficult. I, 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 um, I definitely it's a spiral, think. Yeah, it is, and it's it's so sad. I I find it very frustrating, and again, it, it's just making sure that you're like self reflecting, right? That you know, self reflecting on your own opinions and and to be challenged on it, right? Um, we're we're in a world where we've we've had um significant economic issues, and what happens off the back of that? And a bit a little bit off piste again, but is is that increase in this kind of populism? Yeah. And that can feed into you know there's a whole thing that can feed into that as well, um, and it worries me actually hugely. Um, a culture of of judging other people, I think, for for yeah. a multitude of finding a reason to judge them, mm-hmm. and then and yeah, like and this is great. I mean, not going off pissed at all. I'm very you know we're here for this social conversation. I think this is an important part of being part of the cannabis industry is understanding the social implications of what we do and cannabis absolutely fits into that and it's fascinating where the, where's the crossover between cannabis and populism or cannabis and that uh sort of social media judgmental culture of uh this group or that group they do this or they do that or i don't like these people because of this reason um rather than going out and getting to know those people and getting to know the individual behind that and their motivations and reasons for being who they are and, and doing what they do. So that's, um, yeah. I mean, we talk about what, what a topic. Stigma is literally built into the IT systems. It's built into our systems, right? And that, and that again, quite often I see it might be that a, a patient has gone to their GP and said, I'm on medical cannabis. Or it might be that, you know, look, doctor himself medicate is the only thing that seems to be helping. Um, and then they're kind of, that's popped down. And what comes up is dependent drug user or, mm. you mm. know, recreational cannabis user um and again that is literally stigma built in the very system that we we operate within right so i, I the, yeah the nhs which which we're all contributing to as well it has yeah, this yeah surgery um, software yeah what his uh, his i'll put you on the spot here james and, and mm-hmm. feel free to defer the question if it's uh, if it's too uh <laughs> um i don't even know what the word but but what what would be the way to resolve this? What would you like to implement? What could we done? Is it something the NHS needs to do? Is it the BMA? Is it who needs to come in? And what could be provided to? Is it like a top down review of everything? I mean, it, it it feels so all encompassing when you say that. It's you know, I it's got to be top down. It has mm-hmm. to be government led. I, I guess we look. We've got the legislation there, right? Mm-hmm. But the legislation um, is not ideal. Um, so I think there has to be a change there. Um, and I think, but ultimately, the NHS is going to have to take on the prescription costs for patients. End mm. all. And mm. if they're if they don't accept, if they don't find the flower palatable to prescribe or to fund, then they need to be funding the oils like yesterday, mm. because ultimately we've got patients who are suffering a lot and um, who are using um, having to use their their resource pressure resource on healthcare when they've. They already have a healthcare service, mm-hmm. um, so. Um, but yeah, they're I think twice, we, aren't they? That's yeah, what I, mean, I, I, I just want to put a, a finer point on that because I it's I hear it from patients a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. The frustration you you're pumping money in, you pay your taxes for your NHS um, and all the other things besides, of course. But um, and in in more often than not, the patients have not had success through the NHS. That's why they're 
looking into alternatives. And then they're obviously, once they find an alternative, they're then paying, they continue to pay their taxes into the NHS. They're getting very little from that and then paying privately for something that, that then does work. It's not a tenable position to be in. I think we'll have more campaigns for patients pushing for that. Whether that will be successful, um, who knows? It's an interesting caveat. While, while we're on the point, sorry for um, be in me interviewing you, but you've got me talking. Ooh, um, <laughs> um, you just, yeah, the, the, the idea that you could campaign to get an NHS, or sorry, medicine reimbursed by the NHS, the what i say to patients back when they say we oh yes we actually need to do that campaign is well if you start campaigning for something that's ultimately really financially beneficial to a pharma company then we will end up with a multitude of campaigns five years from now funded by pharma companies for drugs that they don't want to do clinical trials with and they don't want to test properly but they do want to get into the nhs and get these contracts so there's just to put this to play the devil's advocate i guess yes. and say look i'm i'm i 100 agree with you this is an untenable position um how do you resolve that? How do we resolve that, Jay? That's... Data and evidence. Um, mm. and, and just, yeah, it's, it's got to be underpinned with evidence. I think the evidence is, is really patchy in some places, in some areas, and then we've got lots of research in other areas. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think it's got to be research-led. Um, I, I definitely think that, you know, there has to be leadership from NHS on this. I, you know, I, I don't see, I'm not seeing any. I might be maybe, you know, uh, wrong on that, but I'm just not seeing any. But what I am seeing is um, socially vulnerable patients um, being taxed twice. Um, mm. And also, you know, they're saving the NHS a significant amount of money quite often because, mm. again, reduction in, in opioids, gabapentinoids, um, all surgeries. Yeah. surgeries yeah going back and forth to your doctor um mm. back and forth specialist services all of that mm. um i would definitely like to i think you know in terms of that top-down change some of the changes i would like to see is just actually maybe it's allowing private gps to do the initial um consultations mm -hmm. and prescribing mm -hmm. um and i think we just it, it needs to be um again sort of evidence-led and evidence-based um also, the other thing, just in terms of stigma, we have to lead as well. So us within the industry, we have to also be the voice of change and, and you know, making sure that we're um, really getting the right information out there. Because we know every day I see lives are changed, lives are improved. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, in particular, we've seen a real increase in the older adult actually coming to us who maybe, you know, maybe experienced some cannabis back in the... Um, 60s or 70s recreationally but again have reached the end of the line of their opioids for arthritic type conditions or whatever else is going on for them and um so i i think the you know we're, we're once we see an expansion i guess my point is once we see an expansion into the wider population mm -hmm. that's when we're going to start to see that maybe pockets of the nhs will, will start looking to to change their funding position yeah, um, uh, yeah I, I suppose it's the what you said earlier about the proof in the, I didn't, I don't think you said this term, but the proof in the pudding, the, um, when doctors see the effect it has on their patients mm -hmm. uh, when they were previously skeptical, then, then that's what essentially converts them and makes them realize the benefits. And I think it'll be the same on sort of a wider society, societal scale where, um, the more that happens, more doctors will see, and you'll get a surge of doctors saying, Oh, we do need to do this, this research and these studies. And, and doctors are generally listened to by pharma companies, uh, who, who then might invest in, in trials, also by the regulators who also might support trials. 
But you're right about cost effectiveness too, uh, or sorry, cost comparisons. Um, mm-hmm. That for me feels like a really important move forward for patients to review their healthcare pre-cannabis and after and put those, and if, you know, it'd be great to see somebody doing a large scale trial with uh, prescription cannabis patients because it's, it's an area where we can lump them all in together and make an economic uh, point with data. Whereas I yeah. think the problem with the, the clinical trials and doing trials into, you know, efficacy and symptom management, disease management, all these things um, is there's too many different types of patient. It's very hard to find a large group of any one type of patient. And you get these, these broad trials that are doing all chronic pain or and it's just, and then you get the difficulty of not if one medicine for all of those, that, that large group of patients, the broader the group of patients, the less likelihood that you're going to find a medicine that works for the lot of them. That brings down your your you know your efficacy score, your potential you know treatment score for that that drug. So, yeah, we're in this this chicken egg phase where we need enough patients mm-hmm. to do the trials. We need the trials to get more patients, more acceptance is going to help doctors in this. Uh, it's all spiraling upwards and and building, mm-hmm. um, and it's exciting to see. But it's I imagine the day to day of it is frustrating for someone like you who's who's directly interacting with those patients as well. I, d- um, I did see, I saw a study somewhere, Alex, and it was, yeah. I think it was something like, I want to say, I can't remember the number, but it was like around about 70% of the population at that point just weren't aware. And this was only a few years ago. Yeah. And I, I, you know, we do, there's, there is sort of <clears throat> um, um, clinics out there who are doing sort of advertisements and things like that. And that is kind of, improve, you know, improving the kind of knowledge base across yeah. the, the uh, what's interesting though, is when you start to see that certain areas where somebody one person has got their medical cannabis prescription and then has obviously informed other people and you start to see pop-ups of lots of communities so there is almost a kind of a wildfire effect of it um mm. uh, yeah that's, that's um, but it is it's frustrating i find a wee bit frustrating i i think um just in terms of getting the message out there i think that i I think I hear sometimes even sort of stigma coming from patients themselves in terms of of um, the medical, you know, in terms of cannabis. Um, I think as well, we need to make a real, I think it's really important just to continue to make that real distinction between illicit market and medical cannabis um, and, you know, all the other little minor cannabinoids and CBD and all the lovely things that are, are a part of the plant that keep the plant safe in a lot of ways, right? Um, How, sorry, just going, going back to the, the, the medical and the rec side of things, how would you how do you broach that conversation when you're talking to someone? Let's say you're talking to a patient who's previously been using illicit cannabis. They come to you for the first time at the clinic. They want to know what what's different. What is this compared to what I was using? Um, quite often, that what will happen is the patients think that they're managing their symptoms with illicit market, um, um, but they're not. But what they're finding is actually, I find that there's a high increase. Yeah, they're going to get a good night's sleep, maybe, right, potentially, mm-hmm. um, or a better night's sleep. Um, but the the potential for the medical cannabis, the efficacy is so much higher. Um, it is a very different experience um, uh, in that it, it quite often removes um, anxiety, whereas illicit market, my anecdotal experience with patients, is it increases anxiety. And um, uh, so, without a doubt, some of the conversations definitely around about, um, you know, talking about sort of the things that they would spray on the plant in mm. a list market mm. spaces, maybe um, some of the um, processes, human 
you know, in terms of oh, sure. uh, labor, that, oh, that's yeah. mm -hmm, in terms of illicit market. Um, and it's actually an unsafe product because essentially what you're getting is a high THC product that you don't know entirely what it is. You know, if it's a sativa, what might give you anxiety, it might give you spikes of anxiety where you, you literally don't want to leave the house, um, you know, and that can happen. So some of the things that's really interesting within that four week period of a patient, um, the patient's almost gab gobsmacked at the difference in the product. Um, quite often, naturally, patients just will maybe stop gambling. They start reducing opioids. They stop drinking. They start going for walks if they're able to. Um, they can reestablish some of the relationships that they've got. Um, and that, again, is twofold with a reduction in anxiety part-time job and looking for cannabis the whole time, the illicit market, yeah. and, and ultimately reduction in opioids that, that can have an effect on your personal relationships with family, friends, your community. Yeah. So what we just see is a whole life quality improvement. Um, I'm not talking dramatic. It isn't a, it's not magical at all. Um, and there's, you know, but what we do, in, and within the first four weeks, the patient has then really um does not want to go back to yeah. illicit market and that and that's, that's, that's sort of the general trend right that's the the outcome yeah. you see more often than not right is that yeah, there's absolutely. and these are people who have experience like extensive experience mm -hmm. decades sometimes uh, and more of yeah. uh, you know illicit and, and they know their stuff yeah they know that yeah they know it very well and uh, i think there's a value if you know your stuff there's a value in having more information about the product and i think that's something that we can uh you know via doctors and via healthcare professionals you guys can provide more information about where these products come from exactly what's in them exactly how to dose them what times of day to use them um do you feel like that extra level of support is key too though i think that often it's misunderstood and not given enough attention and and it brings me to one of the one of the final points I really wanted to hammer home and, and ask you about really is the importance of nursing, specifically nurses in cannabis clinics, because there are some clinics that don't have nurses. There are some that have maybe one or two. There are some that really put a focus on nurses managing their patients day to day. Yeah. And it's my view that that's an integral part of a quality clinic. What do you think? How do you think that makes a difference? Agreed. Agreed. I mean, the 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 the. The nurse role is a really unique, but it's also it's like exceptionally adaptable. Um, you know, it's like the Swiss Army knife of <laughs> of, of clinicians, right? And um, we can sort of do and say a lot more things that maybe potentially other people um, can't, and and that in terms of patient advocacy and that kind of uh, stroppiness with colleagues if things don't go our patients' way, <laughs> right? We think that we're very protective. That's what advocacy is. It's just stroppiness with your is. own colleagues. Yeah, that's My it. colleagues that grow watching this will know, know well. <laughs> <laughs> um, I definitely think, you know, look, the, the nurse role is essential. I, I think that you're, you're kind of, you're at a you're at a disadvantage without nurses because there's an extra level of safety. We are just natural risk assessors. We're, we're instinctive na uh, risk assessors and we're trained risk assessors mm. um, and constantly mitigating. I think the big thing is, is, is yeah, patient advocacy, harm reduction, communication. Um, the, the, the assessment of, for, for patients um, when they first join, especially legacy patients, like you say, they, they do, you know, they, they, they've maybe been self-managing. They've not had support from the wider healthcare team because of the stigma attached to um, 
medical evidence in cannabis. Um, so I think then it, there's an application of some of my skill set that I can use and overlay that with the, the medical cannabis stuff and really support a patient because it isn't just all, it's not just about the drug either, you know, so it's also looking at the patient's nutrition, physiotherapy, what's mm. happening, you know, where's the patient at in terms of investigations, you know, recommending um, sort of um, other therapies that might be um, useful. Um, uh, and there's, you know, all, all sorts of things that we might recommend. Um, it might be particularly looking at nutrition. And again, um, I think of the trio that really is important for vitamin uh, for winter, and that's like vitamin D2, K3 and magnesium. And, you know, even just recommending that to a patient can really improve sleep anxiety levels. And again, all based on evidence, you can recommend that, right? Mm -hmm. um, I guess it's also helping patients reassess the relationship with cannabis okay and again moving away from a space where yes they're self-medicating but it's predominantly to kind of serve recreational needs right um mm. and moving into a fully healthcare wraparound mm. support and there isn't anything my patients can't talk to me about mm. right there isn't and that is really helpful that a patient can come to the table, open communication and work as a partner. You know, and I think that's definitely something, you know, that I am going to take from my own personal experience of mental health issues. And that is human being, human, human, uh, humanity first, right? I'm going to treat you like a human being first mm -hmm. um, with the dignity and respect that you deserve. Um, um, and I think just that in itself, you know, taking people out of the shadows, that is always a good thing, you know, um, keeping people safe um knowing that every four months um they're going to see me and we're going to get the crack we're going to you know <laughs> house things you know we're going to develop a relationship with these people you know and um long term um and you know i genuinely genuinely love my patients like there, there really is isn't a day where i don't just they yeah really interesting people as well i'm very lucky i realize every morning i wake up uh, I, and I realise how lucky I am doing what I'm doing. Get to work from home and work with really interesting folk, you know. Um, mm. yeah. That's lovely Longer. to hear. Yeah. Oh. yeah. And I, 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 it's not a word of a lie because I hear it every day from patients when I'm speaking to them. They're like, oh, James, he's such a sweetheart. Diamond, uh, diamond is the word I think is used repeatedly. <laughs> he's, such a, he's a diamond, that James. Shiny. <laughs> You gotta, you know, you gotta take these compliments when they come in. Oh, you're um, making this Scotsman blush. Uh, compliment. <laughs> Not an easy task, I hear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna stop there before I get in trouble with an entire nation. Um, <laughs> before we come and visit, in fact, as well, we are going yeah. to be visiting, uh, I believe, Glasgow, but we're definitely doing a conference in Scotland this year. You'll be there. I'll be yeah. there. Lots of other interesting people will be there. Um, We've got a lot of work to put that together uh, in the next few months. Be it'll be spring to summertime. Um, yeah, you were there for the last one, right, in Belfast? What did uh, you feel was, about that it, event? Yeah. Again, this, we talk about breaking barriers and stigma. We, you know, patients were bringing along their relatives who maybe had issues with the medical cannabis, and they left mm. that conference fully supportive. Um, mm. So again, I, you know, the, I'm really looking forward to the Scottish conference and. 
if any you know Scottish patients can make it, please come. Uh, bring your relatives, bring your friends that aren't sure, um, because there's a whole range of people, specialists there, um, uh, industry insiders like yourself, Alex, all the way through to specialist consultants like uh, Doctor Nine. You know, and I think that's so important. You know. It's that opportunity to have that that face to face conversation that you don't have day to day with your patients and um and like i say their relatives you they have to bring other people along and have that interaction and uh, and, and we give them our time it's yeah i remember that one in ireland being such a uh, impactful event it felt very similar to the sort of work i used to do as an advocate and a campaigner which was just you know book a hall give patients some space a short amount of time get on stage tell their stories and just to be uh accepted rather than judged for cannabis use by a large room full of people it's the reason i got into this in the first place just because that was i went to an event and i spoke and that was uh hugely impactful to me it's it's such a pleasure to be able to provide that space and 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 watch that unfold and watch clinicians talk to patients and everybody in the room come to this understanding at the end that this is this thing that's actually really helping people and really making a difference um, we wouldn't be standing in the room if it wasn't for folk like you, though, Alex, right? And I think that's, it's really important that we recognise that and underscore that, right? That, can make again, a southern across. You know, what lives have been saved, right? They have. And Dr. Nye says this all the time. It saves lives. That's that's all you need to know about medical cannabis if you're not involved in it, right? If you, it saves lives. And that's what I'll say to healthcare colleagues as well. Um you know, that's all you need to know. It saves lives. <laughs> yeah. I suppose if we if we will round up with one final note from you yeah. to and and as well as obviously it saves lives. One final note from you to your to healthcare professionals in the UK. What what would be your sort of last comment? Your leaving thought. Treat your patients with kindness if they show up with. Well, I've got a cannabis prescription, or I'm thinking about cannabis. Ultimately. I think it's, you know, it's really impertinent to upskill. So, um, yeah, I think it's just treat your patients with kindness if they show up. No judgment. Don't be like, oh, gobsmacked. That's terrible. No, no. Open space. Learn. Mm -hmm. Understand where your patients. Where has the patient come from? And that's really important. How have they arrived in front of you? Um, and what have they had to face? ultimately for that journey so yeah just treat yeah kindness first um, kindness first i yeah. love that well look, i'm thank you james honestly it's it's i've been so excited to to film with you it's been fantastic it's been insightful it's been better than i could have imagined and it's so nice to hear more about what you do day to day um i know we you know we work with each other now and again but we never get to sit down and have this level of intimacy we never, no. unless we're recording a podcast for that for this purpose so honestly a pleasure for me i hope it's a pleasure for everyone at home thank you so much to everyone for watching and thank you james for your time this evening um you've been a fantastic guest and uh i look forward to uh speaking to you again in the future hopefully thank you very much for having me thanks everyone and we'll see you next episode <laughs>